You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, kitties, and welcome to my world. I would come over and say hello to you, but it's just as easy for you to come to me. Yes, yes, come in. You've come to the right place. This is where you'll learn everything there is to know about your furry feline friends. I'm talking about cats. Yes, I know. We are positively perfect pets. What do you mean I have attitude? Why, of course I do. I'm a cat. It's called Catitude. As I was saying, this show is all about cats. Cats and, um, oh yes, uh, cats. So let me introduce you to my accomplice, I mean assistant and host of Catitude, Tom Doc. Okay, Tom, tell them how wonderful we cats are. It's okay, you have my permission. Hello again, and welcome to Pet Life Radio and the Catitude Channel. I'm your host, Tom Doc, and as always, we're here to talk about everything feline. And let me apologize to all my listeners out there. I realize it's been uh, quite a little bit of time, several weeks, as a matter of fact, since I've posted um, a new podcast here. And I do have to apologize to you. It's um, nothing but uh, business. We have lots going on at the Veterinary News Network. And of course, some of you are familiar with our new project, PetDocsOnCall.com. We have a lot going on there, too. So I'll let you in on a few secrets of those two sites here coming up later in the half hour. But today, I wanted to change gears a little bit, kind of go off on a tangent, if you will. And instead of talking about one specific breed, I thought we'd talk about cats in general today. Specifically, how we domesticated our house cats. How did we get to get hooked up with this obligate carnivore who is pretty independent and pretty good at taking care of themselves. And this is coming from an article in the recent, the June 2009 issue of Scientific American. Um, It has been online, and I can give you a website to that if you'd like to email me, and I'll give you that address later in the show. But uh, this uh, article was done, and we did some genetic and archaeological findings, some genetic analysis and archaeological findings, which kind of changed how we're looking at the history of our domesticated cats. So that's going to be the majority of our show today, and I'm very excited about that because, as you know, I'm very much into genetics. That was my major at Purdue, and of course, I like anything about evolution, and just the things that they can do by looking at a genetic sample now is absolutely amazing. Then a little bit later on in our half hour today, I want to spend some time talking about a pretty serious issue, and of course that is, what do you do with your pets if there's a fire in your house? Well, maybe actually what I should say is, what do you do when you're not home, your house catches on fire, and your pets are still inside? So we'll talk about some things that you can do to help make sure that your pets get out safely. After all, there's about um, a half a million house pets, dogs and cats, that die in house fires every year here in the United States. And of course, that's something that we can change with just a little bit of change of uh, how we look at things and how we uh, present our home to the firefighters in case that something like that would happen. Cats are in the news again uh, coming up, and this is kind of a sad story, but it does have a little bit of a happy ending here. And this just came out um, actually just yesterday afternoon. There was a suspected Miami cat serial killer. Yes, you heard me right. A serial killer of cats down in Miami. And we've been reporting on this at the Veterinary News Network, trying to keep people updated for the last couple of weeks. But what's happened is 
people were finding their cats dead in their front lawns and oftentimes they were skinned or mutilated in some way and it was obvious that this was not some wild animal attack that this was a premeditated human attack on a a poor animal one of these poor cats and there were about 20 actually i think 19 uh, cats that ended up dying and uh, being mutilated well thankfully a teenager has been arrested down in um, miami and police said that a cutler bay youth actually he's 18 years old so really i mean he's an adult he has now been charged with 19 counts of animal cruelty 19 counts of improperly disposing of an animal body and four counts of burglary and i guess according to the police more than two dozen pet and stray cats were killed generally at night and this was in the palmetto bay and cutler bay neighborhoods down in miami in some cases the cats were skinned or gutted and the corpses of course were just left on the lawns or the driveways of their owners and uh, this is such a relief first of all that they've caught the kid because this is the type of person that will turn into a human serial killer a serial killer of his fellow human beings. So thankfully they've caught him and other cat owners in those neighborhoods can now feel a little bit relieved and feel like their cats might be safe again once more. And um, certainly we hope that we never see anything like that again. All right, let's take our first sponsor break here. And before we do, we do want to do a little bit of a trivia question. Don't have any breeds to talk about or any history of the breeds to talk about today. So as far as the trivia question goes, I think everybody kind of realizes, or at least in the back of their mind, they think about Egypt as being the birthplace of domesticating our house cats. So my question to you is, how long ago did this happen? When did we first start seeing the ornamentation and the artwork and the writings of the Egyptian people showing cats as domesticated pets. All right, we're going to hear from our sponsors. We will be right back with the trivia answer and a lot about the evolution of the house cat right after the words from our sponsors. Ooh, do I hear a can being opened? I believe I smell tuna. Catitude will return after these messages. That should give me enough time to investigate what's going on in the kitchen. Don't have a hissy fit. We'll be right back. I love cleaning the litter box, said no one ever. Luckily, there's World's Best Cat Litter, the litter that promises less mess with less litter. Only World's Best Cat Litter uses the concentrated power of corn to quickly trap odors in tight clumps. And quick clumping means you never have to chisel or scrape the box. Less cleanup with less wasted litter? That's a litter bit amazing. Save $2 on World's Best Cat Litter. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. How dare they open a can of tuna and make a sandwich out of it? I can see why some of my celebrity pals prefer lasagna. Well, anyway, I did manage to grab myself the canary while I was in there. Quiet, bird. We're going to hear the rest of my show, Catitude. If you behave, I may not eat you. Until later. Hmm. Okay, Tom, you may continue. And we are back on the Catitude Channel here at Pet Life Radio. I am so glad you're here with me today. And again, this is Tom. I am your host for all things feline. And today we're going to talk about the evolution 
of the house cat. How did we domesticate these wonderful little critters? Uh, the answer to the trivia question, how long ago were cats actually showing up in Egyptian art and in their writings and hieroglyphics and everything? And that actually happened approximately 3,600 years ago. So back at about um, 1,600 BC, actually even before a lot of the uh, big empires of Egypt, cats were already a part of daily life in um, Egyptian society. And so what we want to find out is, were the Egyptians the one that domesticated the cats? Or did something else happen? Well, we have some good company for that because there were archaeologists and geneticists who also wondered the same thing. And why would scientists look at something like this? Why are they looking at, you know, where the house cat came from? Well, first of all, we know that about a third of all households in the United States have cats. So that's well in excess of 60 million households. And we know that it's about 81 million cats at the last census. But across the world, you know, so we don't want to be just specific here to the U.S. and North America, there are more than 600 million cats living with people across the world, so worldwide. That's, you know, almost double the population of the United States. And it just astounds me to think about that many cats hopefully being loved by all their uh, owners across the world. So these scientists set out and they said, okay, we know that cats are probably related to the little small wild cat, Felis Silvestris. But did they arise in just one local area? Did they become domesticated in just one local area? Or did they become domesticated several times across the world? And what they thought about as far as the multiple location theory is, you know what, there's wild cats that stretch all the way from Scotland in the north to South Africa in the south and from Spain in the west all the way over to Mongolia in the east. So pretty much all of the old world has some sort of small wildcat. So it was certainly possible that domestication of our cats could have happened in, in multiple different times. Now, there are several subspecies of Felis sylvestris. Actually, there's about, as you'll find out here in a minute, five. They thought there were just four, but there's actually five. And they're very difficult to differentiate. So back in 2000, these geneticists got together and they took almost a thousand DNA samples from various wildcats stretching from South Africa all the way up to Mongolia and various uh, cats across the, the world, from Japan, the United States, the United Kingdom, all places where these are actual house cats that have been, of course, domesticated. And when they finally got all their data together, this ended up being in about 2007, they found that among the wild cats, among the Felis sylvestris subspecies, there were five genetic clusters, and four of them corresponded with the four known subspecies. We had the uh, the sand cat, which is the uh, Felis, I believe it's Margarita. There is a Chinese mountain cat, the European wild cat, and then the Central Asian and South African wild cat, uh, which are two other subspecies. But what they found was that all of the domestic house cats actually were very closely related to Felis sylvestris libica. And that is the Middle Eastern wildcat, which, as you would probably expect, arose right there in the Fertile Crescent, right there around Iraq and uh, in the Arabian Peninsula, you know, where civilization basically occurred too. But what was most interesting to them is they have found now through other 
through archaeological digs and findings, that these cats actually started being domesticated as long ago as 10,000 years ago. So about three times the amount of time that we thought with the Egyptians. So the next question that they came up with was, well, why? Why would humans try to domesticate an animal like this? You know, first of all, they're not a pack animal. And if you look at all of our other domesticated species, whether they're horses or dogs or swine or cattle or anything like that, those are all pack animals. And we can, we as humans can go in and we kind of take the place of the alpha role in the pack and the pack then comes to really rely on us for providing food and shelter and protection. But of course, we know that for the most part, cats are not. They're mostly solitary. You know, of course, you've got the African lions that hunt in packs. But uh, for the most part, many of cat species, of course, are very solitary. They're also obligate carnivores. They're very good at hunting. Um, They don't rely on stationary type of diets like um, our grazing animals the horses and the cattle rely on pastures of of food and of course we could keep them corralled and fenced in an area and feed them and of course you're not going to be able to do that so much with a cat and then finally and this may sound um, a little harsh to us you know sitting here 10,000 years in the future but you know, what purpose would they have served? What utility would a cat have? You know, dogs can, of course, protect and help with the hunt. Horses and cattle can pull things and, of course, provide meat and milk. You know, there's lots of other reasons that we domesticated other species. But why cats? You know, what would they provide us for? And, and I'm sure every one of you can associate with this, cats a lot of times don't take instructions well, so they don't learn to do things that we want them to do. So as they looked and the scientists looked and tried to figure out what was going on, it obviously became more of an opportunistic chance for cats and humans and the humans to actually domesticate the cats. And here's what they think happened. We know that the first settlements arose in that Fertile Crescent in the same area where the, excuse me, Felis Silvestris Libica lived. And so when you have settlements, you're gonna have storage of foods and you're gonna have trash heaps. Well house mice were actually the first little critters to start coming in because they were being outcompeted in the wild by their cousins the wild mice you know think about the city mouse and the country mouse and our house mice moved in with us into our homes and into our trash heaps and into the granaries and started you know finding a wonderful food source and exploiting it well cats being very opportunistic would also take a look at probably, you know, the outlying areas of the settlement where people would put a lot of their trash or maybe where they kept the the barns and the granaries with all the grain and everything. And the cats started realizing, hey, here's a pretty good food source for me. There's a lot of mice around here. They're pretty contained. I'm going to set myself up in this area and this is going to be my territory. And what started happening over the period of hundreds and thousands of years is certain cats were actually selected for their tameness. Now, we didn't do this, but the cats did this themselves because they tolerated our presence. And as generations of those cats bred, as the cats who were closer to the settlements bred, they became almost a subpopulation of their wild cousins. Interestingly enough, unlike a lot of our other domesticated species, Our cats didn't lose a lot of the skills that they had from their primitive ancestors, especially their hunting skills. And if you look back, really, there was 
as we like to say in sports, no harm, no foul. You know, the cats weren't bothering people, so the people didn't really worry about it. And, you know, people probably started realizing, humans started realizing that, hey, we don't have as many mice around. All of a sudden, you know, our food stores aren't spoiling as much. We're not losing as much to these rodents. So we're not going to worry about these cats. They're not really hurting us. And finally, what probably made the biggest step is, if you look at a cat, who cannot deny that these guys have very cute features? They have big eyes, the very short face, the big ears, and we are genetically programmed to like and care for things like that. It's kind of that infant type thing. Why are all babies and all puppies and and smaller animals, baby animals, why do they have these big eyes and these very cute faces? Well, it's because we need to take care of them. And at some point in time, somebody probably took home a litter of abandoned kittens or maybe a kitten or two, got them really acclimated to living inside a house, and voila, all of a sudden we had a new pet. On the island of Cyprus, they found evidence of a 9,500-year-old burial of a young man who'd been buried and not five feet away, buried with him, same level, was an eight-month-old cat. So this is where they are realizing that at least 9,500 years ago, cats were already very important in our society. Since Cyprus is an island, it's likely the cats couldn't have gotten there natively so there's no native cats to cyprus they would have had to come over on boats from the mainland so scientists are just being very general and estimating that probably we're looking at uh, domestication about 10,000 years ago so that's just absolutely amazing to me now what about across the world we said there's lots of other subspecies of this small wildcat why weren't they domesticated well first of all the european and the chinese wildcats are much much less tolerant of people they do not have that same genetic basis that it seems like the middle eastern wildcat did and so they did not learn tolerance and as people started spreading out into these areas cats naturally followed them and the more tolerant tamer and i'm using that word in quotation marks the more tolerant and tamer cats could outcompete the wildcats. And the wildcats, of course, are going to run away when people are around. So the tame cats are going to get the food source, which, of course, is the mice and the other rodents. So they're just basically outcompeted. I did find a very interesting thing, just as a little side note here. There's a very endangered um, species of wildcat up in Scotland. It's called the Scottish wildcat. And they believe that there's only about 400 of these animals left. And it's very difficult because there's not a good visual way of saying, hey, here's a Scottish wildcat and here's just a regular domestic cat because they look very similar. So they've developed a genetic test and so hopefully they'll be able to find a way uh, to save some of these, um, this very small subspecies. Now, let's go forward in time a little bit. We know that uh, cats have been domesticated for about 10,000 years. Well, about 37, 3,600 years ago, this is when the Egyptian painting started showing up on the hieroglyphics. We're seeing domestication. We're seeing cats with collars on. They're sitting under tables. And, of course, there's a lot of mummification going on, too. Actually, what I found a very interesting quote about just the sheer amount of mummies, mummification that was going on in the Egyptian society. Now I know they don't have exact numbers, but basically by about 3,000 years ago, not only had the cat become the official deity of the Egyptian people, and of course you know her as Bast or Bastet, but just the sheer number of cat mummies that are found says that the Egyptians weren't out there just grabbing any cat that they could. They were 
actively breeding cats. So this is the first time in history that we had actual cat breeders going on. People who probably made a living selling or trading their cats for other goods and services. Now, we went through the um, the Egyptians, and of course, you know, the next big civilizations are the Greeks and the Romans. The Roman Empire actually expanded the range of our house cat, and everywhere the Roman Empire was, the cat followed, not only, you know, from the ship's to protect the grain from the mice and everything but just you know people were finding that they were falling in love with these cute little animals there is an interesting side note here for some reason we don't know why but domestic cats did reach britain before the romans got there now that has not been fully explained yet so we don't know if maybe the celts were involved um, they're going to be doing some more genetic analysis to see if they can't figure this out so we've talked about kind of Western civilization. How about on the other side? How about in Asia and China and everything like that? Well, there was an offshoot of cats that went over into that area, into the Orient. We'll call it the Asian area uh, via the trade roads of Greece and Rome. And these cats uniquely evolved over the course of several thousand years too. And this is where we've talked about before all the Siamese coming from and the Burmese and the Tonkinese. And again, these cats were actively selected for certain markings. And as, um, as the writers of this article have put it, you know, these were adaptations and mutations that had no benefit or no serious harm to the cat. You think about the, the markings of a Siamese cat or a Burmese or a Tonkinese that's got the points. You definitely know that that is not necessarily a beneficial adaptation, yet these cats thrived in that area. And genetic analysis has shown that there's been about 700 years of independent evolution among those types of cats, among those breeds, compared to the cats across the rest of the world. Well, we now know there's about 60 recognized breeds between the Cat Fanciers Association and the International Cat Association. And we also know, I think we've reported before, that um, the cat genome has been sequenced. Cinnamon, who is an Abyssinian, uh, allowed her genome to be sequenced. And so we're really getting into an area now where we can really start understanding more about our feline friends. Lots of times people will ask me, you know, gosh, we've got so many dog breeds. There's like 300 and some dog breeds, and there's such a big range of sizes. You've got the little Chihuahua, you've got the Great Dane, or as I am now a lucky owner of a Mastiff, um, there's a huge size difference. Why don't we see that with cats? Well, there was no population pressure. There was no breeding pressure to change the size of the cat. Cats did very well for the jobs that they were doing. And since we only actively started breeding cats and looking for specific features in the last 200 years or so, really in the last 150 years, there's not been time to change any of these conformational type of things that we see any conformation so we don't have taller cats we don't have a lot of shorter cats or you know different sizes different shapes of heads or anything like that like we see in our dogs so will that change potentially we talked about uh, a few weeks ago we talked about the savannah cat and you know we've got that picture of the two young children that are probably between five and six years old and the cats coming up above the waist on both cats you know that is a big cat and of course, many people are trying to exploit the 
possibility of breeding house cats with other small wild cats like we've already seen with the Bengal breed and others who are trying to do the same thing. Well, now you know a little bit more about how the house cat actually evolved in the world. And it wasn't just, you know, a few thousand years ago. Actually, we've domesticated cats for about 10,000 years now. And I think um, we are even more in love with them now than we have been in the past. We do need to take a quick break and we'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. And I'm going to tell you how to keep your pets safe in the event of a house fire. Do I hear a can being opened? I believe I smell tuna. Catitude will return after these messages. That should give me enough time to investigate what's going on in the kitchen. Don't have a hissy fit. We'll be right back. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your Cat Tree Tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. How dare they open a can of tuna and make a sandwich out of it? I can see why some of my celebrity pals prefer lasagna. Well, anyway, I did manage to grab myself the canary while I was in there. Quiet, bird. We're going to hear the rest of my show, Catitude. If you behave, I may not eat you until later. Okay, Tom, you may continue. And we're back on Catitude Channel for the final few minutes. And as always, I like to spend a little bit of time talking about how we can keep our pets safe, not only from diseases and parasites, but also uh, from things like natural disasters. And the Veterinary News Network just recently, we did a story on, well, I called it Stop, Drop, and Roll Over, Fire Safety for Pets. You may not realize this, but almost a half a million pets die in house fires every year here in the United States. Now, we know that, you know, fires cost us a lot of money, billions of dollars in damage, tens of thousands of people are injured, but luckily the advent of the smoke alarm has actually saved thousands and thousands of lives. I believe that we're only looking at about, I mean, uh, I say only, I know it's uh, sad for a lot of people, but um, probably only less than 2,000 people die in house fires every year in the United States now, and that's a very small percentage, considering that there's about 2 million uncontrolled fires that occur annually here in the United States every year. So we've gotten good at saving human lives, but we're not so good at saving our pets. So what's up with that? Well, certainly smoke alarms have helped. You know, they've been around for about 30 years and there is a plan in place. The Public and Private Fire Safety Council has called for an elimination of any residential fire death by the year 2020. So we're only talking about 10, 11 years from now. And of course, smoke alarms are very important and you see people, you know, they get free smoke alarms. It's required to be in all housing and everything like that now. But 
that high-pitched alarm, that noise, while it's good for us and it wakes us up, oftentimes it's going to scare our pets. And I think especially our cats are going to get really freaked out. And what do cats do when they're scared? They go and they hide. Okay. So imagine even if you are at home when there's a fire going on and your smoke alarm goes off, you're trying to find your way out. You're wondering where your cat is and there's smoke all over the place. The alarm's going off. You know, is it any wonder that we're losing our, our pets like this? So, you know, when it's time to evacuate, the pets don't know what to do. They're scared and they're going to go into hiding. Many of these fires are actually happening when people are away from home. And firefighters, you know, are one of the most heroic group of people that I've ever had the, uh, the privilege of working with and knowing. And certainly they would go looking for any pet if they knew the pet was there. But many of them don't know the pet is there. And again, you're going into a dark environment that's chaotic and smoke is filling the place and they're trying to put the fire out without you know getting hurt or anything like that. Finding the pet is gonna be not very high on, in their priority list, very you know top of mind if they don't know that a pet is there. Even when they do find pets, we lose many of them en route to the veterinarian. And that's simply because the life-saving equipment, the oxygen masks that many firefighters, rescue squads, and paramedics carry don't fit onto our pets' faces very well because, you know, they're designed for people. They're not designed for pets. So they're not getting the same benefit of the oxygen that, um, that a human would. So what are we going to do about this? Well, there are a lot of groups that have gotten together, of course, veterinarians and humane groups. But interestingly enough, there is a uh, company, a corporation, ADT Security, that is really bringing this to light. And I've had the um, very lucky and the honor to talk with one of their uh, vice presidents. And he was telling me how very serious they are about trying to save more pets. And one thing that they've done, of course, and you've seen these, is you can get a window sticker, a window clip actually that says fireman save my pet and you can mark on how many pets you've got in there how many dogs how many cats how many you know snakes and lizards and all that kind of stuff but you've got to get it in your window and you've got to keep it updated because otherwise the firemen are not going to know the other thing that ADT has talked about is also setting up a fire monitoring system along with your alarm system Lots of people have burglar alarms or you know motion detectors for their homes now to keep their valuables safe. Well, what's more valuable than you know our best friends, our dogs and our cats? So let's keep them safe too. And if you've got a security service, ask them about hooking up to a fire monitoring service as well. I don't know how much more it costs per month, but the important thing is when that smoke alarm goes off, they call the fire department right away. So that's gonna save a few seconds to a few minutes, um, even if you're not home. So say, you know, a fire goes off when you're not home, the fire department's going to be called a lot sooner. If you've got the window clings in your window, the firemen are going to look for your pets and hopefully going to get them out. There's a wonderful story about a lady who they left for Sunday brunch one day and um, they heard a lot of sirens and they turned around and came back and it was their house on fire and the first thing they thought about was their Labrador Justice and Justice was a dog who um, was given to them after the death of a family member uh, from 9-11 and so he was very very vital to them and of course they're very worried about Justice well you know here comes the firemen coming out you know giving uh, Justice CPR and Justice ended up being you know just fine after his ordeal and it was all because the fire department got there early 
because of the fire monitoring system. So that's definitely something that you want to think about. Get a window cling or a window sticker in your window saying how many pets and get yourself hooked up to with fire monitoring service. Of course, a lot of other common sense things too. Don't leave candles burning when you leave the house at all, but especially if you've got puppies and kittens or cats running around because we know our cats as graceful as they are occasionally knock things down and break things so we definitely want to pet proof our homes make sure there's no open flames when we leave and you know confine younger puppies and kittens so that they don't cause any problems while we're gone one thing i really want to say and this is very important i know how much you love your pets your cats and and other pets that you have at home but you should never try to go into a burning building to save your pets. Let the professionals do that. They're going to do a lot better job of rescuing your animals and doing it safely and not get hurt. The other thing that's going on, a lot of veterinarians and a lot of um, humane groups are actually now developing and, and purchasing oxygen masks for pets, and they are giving them to the rescue squads and the fire departments. And this is vital because getting that cone-shaped mask over the muzzle of the animal can get more oxygen to them and that can really delay and stop any of the damage that's come about from smoke inhalation. So if you see an opportunity where somebody's collecting money for these oxygen masks, definitely think about giving because it could be your pet that's going to be saved. There's a lot of really neat uh, organizations that are doing that right now. And finally, veterinarians too are taking the time to go to rescue squads and teaching proper, effective animal CPR techniques. Because as you realize, whether it's a great big dog or a small kitten, there's different techniques that you're going to do to help with CPR. And not all rescue squads, not all firefighters know the proper techniques. And so we're very thankful for the veterinarians who volunteer their time to teach that and keep their community safer and, of course, keep a lot more pets in their homes. So hopefully saving pets from the horrors of all these fires is going to be a lot easier now because we've got dedicated firefighting people. We've got companies like ADT who are committed to spreading the word about this. And of course, our veterinarians and other humane organizations. You can find this story at www.myvnn.com as well as many other animal health stories. And if you've got questions, please stop by www.myvnn.com petdocsoncall.com that's p-e-t-d-o-c-s oncall.com we have about 75 veterinarians from the veterinary news network who are working hard to answer questions all sorts of questions from behavior to cancer to nutrition and we really want you to stop by and cat lovers i need your help i made a bet with my boss that our cat lovers would have as many questions as dog people and right now i'm losing by about a 10 to 1 margin there's a lot more dog folks who are coming to our site so please cat folks come to our site post some threads, ask some questions about cats. We, of course, have feline specialists on board. We've got uh, dermatologists on board, dentists on board. We can get your, your questions answered about your pets. That's about all the time I have for right now. I do appreciate you listening, and we're going to get back on track talking about some of the breeds next show. If you have any questions at all, comments, or just maybe a um, compliment or even a concern, email us at Tom at PetLifeRadio.com. That's Tom at PetLifeRadio.com. And certainly visit the website, PetLifeRadio.com, and you can see all sorts of wonderful pet shows, including my good friend Dr. Bernadine Cruz and Dr. Diane Levitan, 
who team up and provide you with the Pet Doctor channel every week. They have got some wonderful stuff going on over there. And of course, uh, both of them are great hosts and you'll really enjoy that show. And they know a lot of people, a lot of experts. And I think you'll have a good time listening to their podcast as well. All right. So go give your kitties a scratch on the head. Take care of them. Make sure those litter boxes are clean. And we will talk with you next time on the Catitude channel at PetLifeRadio.com. Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Dock. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.